As we turn in the Word of God today, let's look at the prophet Jonah once again, and we read those introductory words, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up, come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard, sailed for Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I'm going elsewhere. Here's a picture of uh, ancient Nineveh, actually taken years ago. It was a a beautiful city, majestic, the best of architecture, hanging gardens, rivers going through uh, what is basically a very barren area. And Nineveh was closer than Tarshish. Instead of following God's word, Jonah decided to go down to the port of Joppa. Now Joppa, that port, is really where Tel Aviv is today. And from there, he decided to sail in the opposite direction. Now we have a map here that shows uh, the distance between the two places. If you were actually just going to go to the city of Nineveh, it would be about 500 miles to the northeast. But Tarshish is about 2,500 miles due west. In fact, some people think that the name Tarshish is just used uh, for a place which means getting away from God. One rabbi said, Tarshish is anywhere where God isn't. It's in the opposite direction of where God wants you to be. The New Living Translation says in verse 3, But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. So you know the story well. A decorated prophet who in 2 Kings 14 predicted the expansion of God's uh, people, the land uh, of God's people, and it happened, and he became a hero. And now he's afraid that he's going to be thought of as a traitor if he helps wicked Nineveh, the nation that was fighting against Israel. Now, God told him to go to that great city, verse 2, because of their great wickedness. So what does God do with a rebellious prophet? What does God do with you or with me when we decide to go elsewhere? The old Bible teacher, Andrew Telford, had a good response. He said, God said to Jonah, go. Jonah said, no. God said, oh. God's response is very telling. He then begins to pursue Jonah, pursues him in such a, a dedicated way with all the resources at his disposal. Remember, we're talking about the sovereign God. He pursues his rebellious prophet. The reluctance of Jonah to obey the word of God is more than matched by God's reluctance to let him go. And aren't you glad of that? When you and I wander away in our rebellion, 
God comes after us, kind of like a shepherd going after his sheep. He will not let you go. And God is prepared to go to great lengths to pursue you, to apprehend you, and to bring you back into the fold. So let's notice that in the rest of chapter one, how God pursues his wayward people. Now in Jonah's case, God formed a violent storm to stop him. In one sense, you could say that's using the natural means at his disposal. He is the creator of all things. And he is persistent. I will do my will. No one will stay my hand hand or stop me. No one will say to me, what are you doing? When God decrees, it is done. And so God has decreed to go after his prophet and that's exactly what he will do. The natural means, all that he has created. I love that hymn by William Cowper that says God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and he rides upon the storm. Oh, that's nowhere better illustrated than in the life of Jonah. God's standing on the ocean, the sea, and he is riding the storm for a definite purpose. This is God's doing. Throughout the Bible, you'll see that God is in control of the oceans, and often the oceans, the sea, speaks of judgment. This speaks of God's divine displeasure with the wickedness, not of the nation of Nineveh at this point, but of the wickedness of his own child. He is not pleased. And so he is going after Jonah. Now this is violent storm, the Bible says in verse four, the Lord sent, get that, he's in control. This is providential. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Earthquakes we measure on the Richter scale. Hurricanes are measured on the Safer-Simpson wind scale. And that's one to five category hurricane, one to five with three, anything above three being a major hurricane. I have no idea what this one was, but let's just call it the perfect storm. God is able to bring the wind. The Hebrew word ruah is the same word that was used when the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 that God had his wind move over the face of the waters in creation. And now that same hand of God, the wind of God, is moving over what he has created to allow this violent storm to take place. And the sailors are afraid, verse 5. They're so afraid that each one cries out to his own God. And they began to throw cargo into the sea simply to lighten the ship. This is a group of Phoenician sailors. They're excellent at sailing. This is what they do for a living. They're the best sailors known in that day. And they're frightened on the sea. It's difficult to get a hardened sailor to be fearful on the sea, but not for God. This situation is so bad that they all began to pray to their gods. Now, we're going to see they're actually more devoted to their gods than Jonah is to his. 
And being polytheistic, they're going to pray to every God they can think of. It reminds me of the book of Acts chapter 17 in Athens where they had statues and altars to every God and just so they wouldn't miss one, they had an altar to the unknown God. So they're trying to cover all their bases and connect with every God looking for help. They jettison the cargo? That's serious. They won't get paid at the end of this journey. But it's interesting to me as I look at this point in Scripture that our disobedience tragically endangers the lives of others. Did you ever think about that, Dad? Your disobedience endangers the lives of your wife and children. Tragically so. Sometimes fatally so. No one sins unto themselves. That's what Romans 14 says. No one lives unto themselves. No one dies unto themselves. Unto themselves. John Donne is the English poet who said, no man is an island separated from the main, apart from the whole. No, there's an interconnectedness in humanity and the connectedness becomes tighter as we think of community and as we think of family, as we think of marriage. No one sins unto themselves. Well, it's my life, I can do what I want. No, you can unless you don't care about others. And unfortunately, many of us don't. So we rebel against God and go our own sinful way, opposite from the direction he desires us to go, all the while hurting other people in our wake. But meanwhile, verse 5, Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell asleep. <laughs> the Hebrew word tardima is a word that means a deep sleep. In fact, it's the same word that is used when the Bible says that Adam went to sleep and God created Eve from his side. It's almost like uh, the uh, anesthesia coming on us and we're totally out and insensitive and cannot even respond. Now this is not the rest of a good conscience, mind you. This is the exhaustion and fatigue of a foolish decision. It takes a lot of energy to run away from God. There's another person who slept on a ship in the midst of a storm. His name is Jesus. But Jesus slept in the storm because he was right with God. Jonah slept in the storm because he was running from God and worn out. And maybe for a moment, he thought he got away. He was deep in REM sleep and had no idea what was happening. Back to the sailors, they're crying out, right, for help. They're throwing their tackle into the sea. They're praying for deliverance. They're looking here and there and everywhere for someone to help. And Jonah is fast asleep. Our society, in the midst of this storm called COVID-19, is looking anywhere, everywhere, somewhere for help. And is the church fast asleep? Insensitive to the cries for help? 
It's interesting to me as I look at God pursuing Jonah that he not only uses this storm, this violent storm that he created, but secondly, God uses pagan sailors to confront Jonah, to shame him, to wake him up. Now this is what we might call unusual means, (laughs) that God would use the wicked to accomplish his will, but in one sense, not that unusual. If you go back in the Old Testament, think of the book of Habakkuk where the nation of Israel was wandering away from God and Habakkuk was crying out against their sin and God said, don't worry about it, my prophet Habakkuk. I'm going to do something. I'm going to send the, the Babylonians, the wicked Chaldeans down upon the, the nation of Israel and they're going to correct them and they're going to discipline them, bring them into judgment. And Habakkuk said, God, you can't do that. You're a holy God. We're bad, but we're not as bad as they are. Which is interesting how you and I begin to compare ourselves when we find ourselves on the outs with God. Now, God can use the wickedness of man to praise him. Just think of the cross and the hatred from Jewish leaders and the cruelty of Roman soldiers accomplished the greatest thing that's happened on planet Earth, the redemption of our soul by God in the flesh named Jesus Christ so these are what we may call unusual means but everything is at God's disposal and and notice verse 6 the captain of the ship goes to Jonah and says how can you sleep now it's very interesting there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew and the word that is used here of uh, the captain finding Jonah seems to indicate that he heard him snoring (laughs) I don't know how tight you can make by way of application to that but that would be a deep sleep in the midst of the storm and the captain comes to him verse 6 and says arise get up which by the way in the Hebrew is the very same word used in verse 2 when God said arise get up and go to Nineveh and now the pagan captain is echoing the commands of a holy God arise get up call on your God maybe he will take notice of us so that we don't perish and Jonah couldn't even pray What kind of God can't pray in a time of a storm? What kind kind of guy can't pray to his God in the time of a storm? And I do believe that many of us believers are spiritually sleeping. Physical sleep is good, but if you sleep too much, you're lazy, you're a sluggard. The word death There's a euphemism in the English language for that. It's the word sleep. And death is good when we're promoted to glory. To be absent from the body and present with the Lord, that's gain, Paul said. But it's bad if it's the death of someone who has rejected Christ. But this is all bad. Spiritual sleep, indifference, insensitivity. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34, awake to righteousness and stop sinning because some do not have the knowledge of God and I speak this to your shame. Jonah, get up. It's shameful sleep that you're involved with as you run away from the Lord. The sailors are desperate, verse 7. 
They said to each other, come, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. In their superstition, they believed that the storm was some type of divine anger. Anytime a storm came, and they would cast like, like lots, like the throwing of dice. It's the ancient way to determine uh, direction and to find answers. But these pagan sailors were on the right track. The storm was divine anger. And in the casting of the lots, and it seems to imply they did it several times, the lots, the lot fell to Jonah every time. I'm reminded of Numbers 32 and verse 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. Paul said in Timothy, some men's sins go before them. It's like paraded in public. Everyone knows about their sins, but other men's sins follow after them to the judgment. They're hidden, but they will be revealed. Be sure your sin will find you out. So now Jonah is selected as the one who is connected to the problem, to the storm. So they pepper him with questions, verse eight. And the first question is simply, maybe Jonah knows why we're having a problem. Tell us who's responsible for making all of this trouble. They didn't even point the finger at him yet. They peppered him with questions. Here's another one. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? Now think about those questions. What do you do for a living? He didn't tell them except he worshiped God. Where do you come from? That is, before you boarded this ship, where did you come from? Let's trace your steps. Maybe something will lead to an answer. Where's your hometown? What country are you come from? Maybe it's a country under a curse. And what about your nationality? Again, maybe you're from a people who are cursed of God. Give us some type of answer. And if I was Jonah running from God, I might have said... To all of those sailors, I plead the fifth. Anything I say will be used against me in the court of law. This is self-incrimination. But somehow Jonah was confronted and shamed by the sailors enough to speak the truth. He answered, I'm a Hebrew, verse 9. I worship the God, the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, he said, I worship the Lord. He's not really worshiping God now. Probably should have said, I used to worship the Lord. Now, verse 10 says that this terrified the sailors, and they asked, what have you done? Now, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. Isn't that an interesting phrase in verse 10? When did he already tell them? Here's only a guess but I think it might be right on. When the captain came to Jonah and said, why in the world aren't you praying to your God? He must have said, I can't, I'm running from him. What kind of insanity is it to run from the God who made the sea on the sea? You are an idiot, Jonah. This is the height of craziness. How do you think you can get away from the one who created everything, including the sea, by taking a voyage? 
And when you and I run from God, we're just as idiotic too. <laughs> it's the height of insanity that, think, that causes us to think we can run away from the one who made us and the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. The one who is omnipresent everywhere. The one who sees what is done in secret and what is done in public whose eyes behold the evil and the good. I tell you, it is insane, my friend, for you this day to run away from God. You're hurting yourself. There's a great verse in chapter 2 that talks about those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. When you run away from the true God of heaven, you forfeit the grace and the peace that could be yours. But that's what Jonah's doing. Verse 11, the sea's getting worse, rougher and rougher by the minute. So they ask him, what should we do to you, Jonah, to make the sea come down for us? And he says, pick me up and throw me in. Now, I find it fascinating that he didn't just say, I'm the problem, and leap overboard. But he put the burden back on these, these sailors. Like Elijah, he's now he's despairing for his life. I might as well die. He puts pressure on them to throw them in, and he's lost all will for himself to live. But I kind of think he's hoping that the sailors won't do it. They'll find another way. That's why he doesn't jump in himself. And in the midst of this horrible time, this virus or maybe a personal tragedy you're going through with the breakup of the family and the disintegration of your finances. Maybe your mental health has been disturbed and your physical health destroyed and you've lost the will to live. And you think that death is your only hope to get out of this. I'm talking to people who have thought of suicide right the stats show that it's increasing by leaps and bounds among our military unbelievable you put people in high pressure situations and don't give them the strength and the support they need and people come crashing down just like Jonah well there is an answer there is hope the book of Jonah is filled with hope but at this moment in time, Jonah is still running. And he'd rather die than turn from his backsliding to a forgiving God. I want you to notice a great contrast. There was another guy who was in a storm on this very same sea. And his name was the Apostle Paul. You can read about that story in Acts 27. And instead of being in despair, Paul took charge he said, I know God's in control. And I'm not going where I want to be. I'm, I'm in prison, but I know God is going to give with me the safety of all who are on the ship. And he took charge and took control. What a testimony that was for God. Jonah finally says, this is my fault. Pick me up, verse 12, throw me into the sea. It'll become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But instead, talk about pagan compassion. 
Instead, verse 13, the men did their best to row back to land. The Hebrew word is to dig deep. It's like every oar was digging deep into the sea and pulling for all they could, but nothing could help. The sea was getting wilder. So verse 14, they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. It wasn't their fault and he wasn't innocent. And they threw him over. Now I want you to notice God's compassion. His compassion both for Jonah, as we're going to see in a moment, and his compassion for the pagans. Sometimes heathen, those who don't know God, are more compassionate than those who say they do. Sometimes the unconverted put Christians to shame. I remember during the fight for AIDS to, to battle this disease, there were so many compassionate people who would give up their lives and go to dangerous places. And you say, yeah, but Christians are supposed to be all about spreading the gospel first. Well, I'm all for spreading the gospel, but did you know that in the New Testament, in the gospels, Jesus did both. He spread the good news by doing good deeds. It's the good Samaritan all over again. And now we have opportunity to do good in the name of Christ to a hurting world. And there's possible conversion here among the pagans. They saw the power of God. They saw the justice of God. Verse 15, they threw Jonah in and the raging sea grew calm. At this the sailors greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, which probably was an animal, Again, cutting down their hope of profit. And they made vows to him. I can't say for sure, but it's possible that some of these pagan sailors were converted. Now, how ironic is that? While running from God, Jonah brings people to God. <laughs> and maybe he could say, well, at least... My sin ended up as something. No, 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 no. You can't excuse yourself. The Bible tells us that indeed judgment is coming and sin is going to be in the world, but woe to those who bring it. There's a human responsibility for it. You don't get off the hook simply because God can use the wickedness of man ultimately to praise him. And so the last thing I want you to see, in God pursuing Jonah, he first of all set, he first of all created that violent storm to stop him, and then he used pagan sailors to shame him and confront him. And now God sends a great fish to save him. This is the story of Jonah, right? And this we might call miraculous means if the first is natural with a storm and the second unusual by using pagans this is supernatural this is miraculous this shows God's creativity maybe a sense of humor and the fact that he is all-powerful and in control of all creation 
Birds were sent to feed Elijah. A donkey was used to rebuke Balaam. And now a fish is used to save Jonah. Now we can go on and on and debate about the big fish. This is where many people point to the Bible being filled with myths and parables and allegory and pure fabrication. In fact, one commentator actually poses this as an answer. That Jonah recovered from his ordeal by spending three days and three nights in an inn called the fish. <laughs> if God is God, and he is, he has no problem creating a fish big enough to swallow Jonah and house him for three days and three nights, and it won't be the Holiday Inn. Was it a whale? I don't know. The Leviathan mentioned in Isaiah, the monster of the deep mentioned in Job, doesn't matter. It's a fish big enough to swallow a man. And by, way, by the way, there are historical reports of sailors going overboard and being swallowed and then later on still alive when the, ship is, the fish has been captured and opened up. But when that person comes out of that fish with the gastric juices having worked on his skin, that's an unusual sight. And we'll talk about that later. Here's God going to great lengths to provide a fish to save his wayward prophet who in chapter two is gonna learn something of repentance. George Matheson wrote a wonderful hymn, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer and fuller be. O love that will not let me go. Think about it. God formed the violent storm to stop him. He used pagan sailors to shame him. And he sent a great fish to save him. All because God will not let you go. Or as Charles Spurgeon once put it, God never allows, never allows his children to sin successfully. He wants you back. And he won't stop dear child of God until you bow let's pray Father I thank you for the great mercy that has been revealed in this text it is the mercy that is seen on the cross of Jesus Christ it's not that Jesus introduced mercy oh Father you have always been merciful to your people and here you're showing compassion to Jonah and the sailors Lord, you're a God of mercy who longs to save us from our own sin and its consequences. The wages of sin is death. That's the path that each one of us is going on. And you sent your son to stop us from the path of death. You used a cross to save us. And now we must turn and believe. Lord, I pray that you will speak to those people who aren't even seeking you today. Wake them up like the captain did to Jonah. Lord, I pray that you will reveal yourself to those who are not asking for you and may they find you 
those who are not seeking you and speak to this nation that is not calling upon your name and God I pray that you will say to America here am I I am your creator and I am your savior and if you turn to me I will forgive in Jesus name amen